hear me all right? It's a small room, I have a loud voice. Great, so first of all, thank you so much, all of you, for being in this panel today. I know you were rather spoiled for choice, so it's great to see you here. My name is Tess Helgren, and I am currently an associate analyst at RAND Europe, which is a not-for-profit policy research institute in Cambridge. But fittingly for our setting, today I'm going to be reaching back before my time at RAND to speak to you about some research I conducted while I was at Oxford. So to give you a bit of introduction um, to myself and this work, uh, after I began my migration set interests at Harvard University, I came and did the MSc in migration studies two years ago here at Oxford, so anyone who's interested in a student perspective on the course that Oliver was speaking about the first day, I'm happy to, to talk to you about it after the presentation. Um, so during my time here at Oxford, I had the privilege of studying under multiple lecturers such as Evelyn, who is amongst us today, uh, and also under Agnieszka Kubal, who really helped inform my understanding of migrant socio-legal responses to migration, so how migrants exert their agencies within the legal structures of their society. And this is a bit of context for the work that I'll be presenting to you today. So my presentation, my presentation is entitled Challenging the Borders of Intimacy and Legality, Migrant Agency in Response to Danish Restrictions on Transnational Marriage. And I first became interested in this topic when I heard about the Love Bridge phenomenon, which, in which thousands of individuals are moving from Denmark to Sweden to avoid Danish marriage migration restrictions. And I was intrigued by this new migration flow, and I wanted to know why so many individuals were moving for marriage reasons, and what this trend meant, both in the short and in the long term, for the individuals and the countries involved. So my research consisted of looking at academic pieces on Danish identity and transnational marriage patterns, in addition to a policy analysis of legislation both on, in Denmark and in the EU, and finally, legal analysis of relevant EU case law. Although, in an ideal situation, I would have conducted field work with the migrants in whom I was interested. Given the nine-month length of the course, that was impossible. So instead, I did travel to Copenhagen, Malmö, and Stockholm to speak with academics and policymakers in Denmark and in Sweden to get a better sense of the Danish and Swedish context for immigration and integration. So in today's presentation, I'm going to present three main aspects of my research. First, I want to explain the current marriage migration restrictions that are in place in Denmark and the surrounding controversy. I also want to discuss the creative border navigations that have occurred by migrant agents in response to this policy, and finally to explore what all of this means for the future of migrant identity and legality in the EU. So to begin with, I would like to present you with the bridge in front of you, which is the reason I first became interested in this topic. Every day there are 20,000 individuals who cross the 7-kilometer Orison Bridge between Denmark and Sweden, stretching from Copenhagen to Malmö. The main reason for this crossing is a simple commute to work. The train takes about 30 minutes, and it makes it shorter to travel across national borders than across London at rush hour. But there are other reasons for crossing the bridge as well. Since 2002, over 3,000 Danes have moved across the Orison from Denmark to Sweden in order to marry third country partners from outside the EU. And this movement is what has gained the bridge its nickname of the Love Bridge. So, why are over 3,000 Danes moving across the Love Bridge? The answer lies in a piece of legislation called the Danish Aliens Act, which sets out a set of strict migration requirements for, between Danes and third country nationals from outside the EU. So colloquially, this policy is called the 24-year rule, which references the age threshold which must be met by both partners involved in the transnational marriages encompassed by the policy. 
So this is intended as an immigration control policy and it's been very effective. You can see that following the law's passage in 2002, there was a steep drop in family migration permits issued in Denmark from over 13,000 in 2001 to fewer than 5,000 after the law was passed uh, and that was in 2003. The law was initially passed under the Liberal Conservative government and it passed with a lot of pressure from the right-wing Danish People's Party, which was giving support to the Liberal Conservative coalition. Uh, but and it had reducing immigration numbers as a major part of its platform. Since that time, in 2011, the Social Democrats have regained power and they've repealed many of the more restrictive or at least liberalized some of the restrictive migration policies that were in place in Denmark. But interestingly, the 24-year rule has remain largely, largely intact, which means that it's still a continuing policy in Denmark today. So the application of this 24-year rule is important to examine not only because of the strict requirements, but also because of the uneven impact of the legislation. In addition to the age threshold, there are a number of other requirements that migrants must meet in order to join their spouses in Denmark. So some, such as residency and income, are commonplace requirements throughout the EU. But however, Denmark also has a national, a combined national attachment requirement which must be met. And according to this requirement, the couple in question must display that their combined national attachment is greater to Denmark than to any other country. This measure is calculated on things based like the transnational partner's time spent living in Denmark, perhaps education in Denmark, knowledge of the language and culture. But it's a deeply subjective requirement that in practice unevenly impacts partnerships in which the Danish spouse is also of immigrant origin. So to, to give you a sense of what this means, one can imagine that I am seventh generation Danish and I fall in love with a man from Tanzania. And so my attachment to Denmark would probably be measured at 100% if I've always lived there, studied there, many generations I'm Danish. And so if my, if my potential spouse can prove that he studied in Denmark, perhaps he has some knowledge of Danish, it's relatively easy to tip this combined national attachment to over 50% to Denmark. So let's consider another situation in which I'm, I've lived in Denmark my entire life, but I'm a second generation Pakistani. I go back with my parents to Pakistan every few years, and while I'm there, I meet a Pakistani man and wish to marry him. Now in this case, the Danish government is likely to look at our application and see that, sure, get married, but your combined national attachment is greater to Pakistan than it is to Denmark, so you can't come in on the migration permit. So this situation is very commonplace. Uh, it's very commonplace for young Danes of immigrant origin because in this population, statistics show that up to 90% of marriages are conducted with transnational co-ethnic partners. So again, spouses with the same ethnic background from outside the country. And for these couples, this 24-year rule is having a particularly severe and disproportionate impact over spouses' migration impact options. Also, at this point, it's worth noting that while this national attachment requirement takes account of previous ties to Denmark at the time of application, it does not in any way account for migrants' future aspirations, what they hope to contribute to Denmark or how they hope to be integrated in society. And so there may be migrants who are eager to contribute and be part of the society but are excluded up front before they have that chance. So what has the reaction to this law been? Given the rigor of the 24-year rule's various thresholds, the law has been criticized under international rights to family life, such as those guaranteed by Article 8 of the European Convention on Human Rights. 
Interestingly, the Danish government has used the same arguments to write a family life to justify the law, claiming it is using national discretion under Article 8 of under the discretion clause of Article 8 of the ECHR to protect Danish citizens against forced marriages. So the idea that the Danish government presents is that by raising the age threshold and attachment requirements, the new law will actually protect young Danes, particularly those of immigrant origin, from being subject to unwanted forced marriages with co-ethnics outside of Denmark. So this isn't to say that there are no cases in which the law has worked in this way, but there is a highly problematic assumption in the Danish, Danish government's definition of forced marriages, which effectively equates forced and arranged marriages, while the two are actually very different. So by discriminating against voluntary arranged marriages in this way, the law makes a normative statement about which marriage traditions are and are not acceptable according to the Danish lifestyle. So how have couples responded? It's true that, as earlier remarked, there have been, there's been an overall decrease in family migration permits in Denmark over the last decade. But in the Copenhagen area, many impacted individuals have chosen to exercise their agency through another option, that of European mobility. So Danes in the Copenhagen area who wish to marry a transnational partner are moving across the Orison Bridge to Malmö, Sweden in order to gain rights to the stronger family life protections that are invoked once they exercise their right to free movement as an EU citizen. So once they're a resident of Sweden, these individuals are subject to EU jurisdiction rather than Danish law, and the thresholds for sponsoring a marriage partner for EU residents are much more favorable, lower age threshold, no national attachment requirement, etc. So as a result, many of these impacted couples are living in Sweden in a, in a sort of semi-legality where they, it's a coping strategy where they might reside in Sweden, but they could spend the majority of their time in Denmark commuting to work, to see family and friends, and remain involved in Danish culture. Additionally, in sidestepping Danish law by crossing over the Swedish border, the Lovebridge migrants highlight the tension between national sovereignty and EU authority. This legal balance between member state and European rights is by no means a static relationship, and recent years have seen a number of decisions passed through the European Court of Justice that attempt to draw the line between national and EU jurisdiction. Notably for the Danish example is the 2008 Metoc case, which upheld the right for mobile EU citizens to sponsor transnational marriages as a function of the family rights guaranteed in the 2004 Freedom of Movement Directive. So looking ahead, it will be interesting to see how, and important to watch, how cases like the Danish Love Bridge continue to challenge the balance between European and national authority, and what this means for the balance of power in the EU. What is clear is that the distinction between mobile and sedentary citizens is becoming increasingly blurred. Once an EU citizen crosses national borders, is she permanently considered a mobile EU citizen? And what happens for citizens who may move multiple times and return to their home country? There are numerous iterations of the freedom of movement rights that will conti be continued to be debated in European courts in the years to come. So what does all of this mean? What does the Love Bridge teach us and why does it matter? I would like to conclude with four main points which highlight both the importance of the 24-year rule as well as its future implications. So firstly, this piece of legislation is a strong example of a national policy that has both immigration control and integration aims. Not only does the Danish Aliens Act restrict the number of migrants coming to Denmark, but it influences the identity of those migrants by introducing requirements which fall unevenly across members of the population and disproportionately impact Danes and communities of immigrant, immigrant origin. Secondly, the creative responses of these impacted couples highlight the role of migrant agency in countering the intentions of state policy. 
The movement of couples from Denmark to Sweden introduces questions about the actual effectiveness of the Danish policy. And by choosing mobility in order to exercise their marital right to choose, the Lovebridge phenomenon also challenges the ethics of these state policies which presume to favor or punish certain spousal preferences and traditions. Thirdly, looking to the future, the identity implications of the Lovebridge migrants remain to be seen. For these doubly transnational couples, where will their ultimate sense of national belonging and identification lie? Will they consider themselves Danish, Swedish, European, or something else entirely? If the laws allow, will these couples eventually choose to return to Denmark, or will they choose to stay in Sweden where they feel like they've been more accepted? And what sense of belonging might their children feel? And finally, migrants' agentive mobility strategies are challenging the balance of national and EU authority. In one sense, the Lovebridge migration reifies the role of national borders by relying on their presence to change, national, uh, to change their legal rights. But in another sense, the semi-legal lifestyles that relocated couples lead, splitting their time between Sweden and Denmark, further complicate the meaning of borders in the face of modern mobility patterns. Ultimately, while the impact of these new migration flows remains to be seen, migrants' creative navigation of national borders is asserting the powerful presence of individual agency within the complex migration agendas and policies of modern Europe. The Lovebridge migrants truly are challenging the borders of intimacy and legality with implications that stretch into the future. Thank you very much.